This podcast and its content are designed and intended to provide a place for conversation. Topics and advice covered in this podcast should not be taken as professional medical advice or emotional or spiritual counsel. If you or a loved one need professional help, they should seek a licensed professional. The views covered and discussed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of WCSG Radio or Cornerstone University. Ideas presented are not necessarily endorsed by WCSG Radio or Cornerstone University. Welcome to Through Rough Waters, a biblically-based mental health podcast presented by WCSG and supported by West Michigan Wellness Group. I'm your host, Zach Allen, and joining me is my co-host, Kevin DeCam. Kevin, how are you today? Great, Zach. So good to be here. Yeah, so just Kevin and I today, as we introduce our next series, we will be focusing on conflict in the family. As we're heading into that holiday season, we're also heading into family gatherings, which means we're probably heading into some conflict. Today, we're going to be discussing some common reasons for conflict and some ways that we can look to de-escalate and manage conflict well. So as always, we're going to start by looking at some scripture. And before we get to the verse, I just want to reiterate, conflict is inevitable. We're sinful, we're fallen human beings, and we all will at some point butt heads with the people around us. And our family, the group of people we spend the most time with, so it's also inevitable. We're going to have some conflict in our families. It's just part of life. So if this conflict is inevitable... How should we handle it? And I want to base this first little discussion on Proverbs 15, verse 18, which says, A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. It's a simple verse on the surface, being slow to anger, obviously better than having a hot temper, but what are some ways that we can take the wisdom from this verse, put it into practice? Yeah, Zach, I love that uh, we don't really set this up. Like, a little peek behind the curtain to our listeners. We don't, we don't like discuss what verse you're going to use. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, and we don't script everything out. That's kind of what I love about the podcast. We just get to listen in on our conversation. And I I think this, this verse that, uh, you've chosen or that this verse that God put on your heart sets up well, um, how I'd love to talk about transcending conflict. That's kind of the way we usually talk about that. So, um, you know, like many other verses about this, um, like the famous turning the other cheek, I think sometimes we misinterpret this, we miss the point. Um, it's probably good advice on a very simple level. Uh, it's, it's a nicer response to, um, be slow to anger. And yet I think the wisdom contained here, like throughout scripture elsewhere is, uh, is so much deeper than that. Um, the idea that we can actually rise above conflict and, and find something greater, uh, seeking a higher path of growth by not being pulled into kind of this base response of reciprocating a reaction. But if we, but if we don't do that first, we're not going to get to the higher level, right? So we have to start by not, um, reciprocating. So this verse, uh, from Proverbs, the wisdom literature just says to be slow to anger, uh, because in doing so will increase the likelihood that we will respond in a healthy way instead of reacting in in an unhealthy way and therefore perpetuating, you know, where this starts, which is, um, you know, strife and and hot tempers. It's really hard to stay angry at someone who's not responding to your anger with more anger. Like you, you just feel like more and more of a jerk if you do it that way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so this little series is going to be specifically about conflict in the family, and we'll unpack some deeper questions and some deeper areas of this as we go through the next couple episodes. But this first one, I just want to introduce this conversation in a healthy way. What is a healthy way, Kevin, to approach that inevitable conflict? It's always going to happen. What is a healthy way to approach that within our family units? Yeah. And I, and I do want to drill down into family in the series. We'll continue to, um, I will kind of pull that apart a little bit and look at, look at conflict in general. Um, because I think how we should approach conflict probably starts with what we mean by conflict or yeah. what do we make sense of with conflict? Right. So Zach, I didn't warn you about this either, but can I put you on the spot here? Right. You're sure <laughs> you're, here we are. you're a normal guy, right? Yeah. You're, you're a pretty normal dude. I think so. Yes. You would think so. <laughs> People who know you really well might disagree. Um, but I think of you as being a normal person, right? So what do you think when you just hear the word conflict? Like, so, what does that conjure for you? So actually I'm a person that to my detriment, I avoid conflict because my definition of conflict is like disagreement almost like okay. even disagreeing with someone sets off those conflict warning bells in my mind. Like I am so predisposed towards peace that I think my threshold of conflict might be too high. Okay. No, that's a good answer. And so what do those bells sound like then? Like um, for you, what does that mean? So I, you know, we have like the the fight, flight, or freeze response that we talked about in one of our previous episodes. 
I am almost always a freeze. So like if okay. I find myself in a disagreement, I'll probably just stop talking and like very quietly back away. <laughs> yes. Because as you said, that conflict, even if it's just a disagreement, that conflict represents something threatening for you. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I, I would say that's not you. I mean, it may be true that that's exaggerated for you in some way um, because of who you are or what you've experienced. But I would actually say that's a pretty normal response for a normal person. Yeah. Right. I think most people, when they hear just the very word conflict, immediately conjure something negative, something uncomfortable, right? Something to be avoided. And that's why uh, we have those responses within us, right? Mm -hmm. We talked a lot about that in our series on anxiety, um, that there are these uh, God-given and well-designed, efficient responses to things that feel uncomfortable, if not threatening. And and often the, the source of that is some measure of conflict, Yeah. right? So when I come back to looking at conflict, and this is, this is the work that I love to do um, with other people. It's less fun when I'm doing it myself, but it's really fun to do with other people. Um, uh, you know, we, I, I, we have to first break through those barriers because we have a very base human response. And, and often that does lead to something like avoiding conflict. Um, then we try to get into these higher orders of, you know, let's manage conflict. And a lot of what people talk about is either managing conflict or resolving conflict, mm -hmm. right? And if you listen carefully, that still, uh, it still perpetuates the idea that conflict is something to be done away with, right? Where what if, and I'll make this argument, what if conflict is actually God's design for growth? It's not like despite our growth or despite what it is that we experience. It's sort of like we grow because of conflict. Yeah, I mean, we kind of talked about this a couple episodes ago where we use the analogy of like lifting weights. Like you're yes. never going to get stronger unless you introduce some what we call voluntary stress into the system like Absolutely. conflict can be the, the mental version of lifting weights yes resistance and and for me the biggest problem is a mental one when it comes to that right yeah. i could probably lift the weight but eh, i don't want to <laughs> because it's uncomfortable and uh there is that system within my body like yours and everybody else's that says if it's uncomfortable it's bad and if it's bad create distance between you and it yeah. And that's where this fight or flight or freeze or fawn or all the other responses come from is how do I get away from the thing that seems bad because it brings me stress or fear or anxiety uh, or discomfort, right? Um, and yet, if we were willing to look at comfort differently, and I, I'll share another passage here that I brought in without warning you, uh, Psalm 61. This is, this is actually, there's a long story behind this, but it was a, it was a passage that God brought to me and kind of put on our hearts during the, the season of time where uh, I was moving out of solo practice and into West Michigan Wellness Group, and we were moving into the space where we exist now uh, on the campus of a church. And uh, Psalm 61 may give us some insight into this. And I'm just going to read the beginning of it, um, which says this. This is, this is uh, from David. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the ends of the earth, I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. One of the reasons that this was really cool is um, it was given to me during an exercise, a men's ministry exercise that I was a part of as a verse to contemplate on. And while everyone was supposed to find a spot in the building to sit and pray, uh, it was a dark, rainy night about this time of year. Um, I, as I would often do, snuck out a back door and started walking outside. And um, where I ended up walking was a high point on the campus of our church. And as I was there, I was reading about this idea of a rock higher than I, and, and that actually ended up later to be the place where our office would be um, referred to on campus as the summit, the summit, right? So the rock higher than I, and it's been such an interesting thing that God has brought this passage back to my heart um, so many times. And it, it actually seems to fit here. If you can hang with me, the rock that is higher than I, and, and remember what this says in the, in the Psalm is that David is recognizing that when his heart grows faint, God leads him to a rock higher than I. So I'm not going to pretend to be a, a mountaineer or a rock climber, but I've done some hiking, right? Um, and I know this very basic principle that if you walk from one place up a rock that is higher than I am, <laughs> it will require some effort. You're fighting gravity. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Which is, which is conflict, mm -hmm. right? So how do I get to the place that's higher than I will? I have to climb up something. And, and so I've really, um, in the last few years, I've, as I've been working with folks with conflict and doing more and more trainings about conflict, this is something we get asked to talk about a lot is what do we do with conflict on teams and in organizations? This idea of transcending 
conflict, right? That we don't just avoid it. We don't just manage it. We don't just try to get away with from it, which is what most of our, um, uh, our human systems tell us to do. We, we approach it and we conquer it. And, and if I'm understanding this correctly, uh, the word trans in the, in the original Latin means, uh, to gain higher ground basically, right? Right. To get to a higher place because of, and so what if God's design is actually that conflict is not meant to scare us, not meant to give us alarm to run away, but that sometimes, maybe even often, the idea is that we are to conquer something in order to come to a higher place, yeah. right? A rock higher than I. So when we come all the way back to your question from a little bit ago here, uh, how do we approach conflict with families? Well, it depends on how we make sense of that, right? If we think of conflict the way most of us do, the way you described as something scary to be avoided, then we should stay away from our families. Yeah. <laughs> or we should at least stay away from those things within our families that are likely to bring conflict. But what if the idea was that within the context of something healthy, and, and that's important, we'll come back to that later in the series, what if it's not healthy? What if it's just inherently unhealthy? Um, but the idea that if, if it's within a safe environment, we are to approach conflict in order to transcend, in order to grow. I think this is certainly the approach, and this is where a lot of this comes out of in, in my work with couples, right? That as long as everyone is following the rules and fulfilling their vows, the idea is that conflict should bring us together as a way to grow, mm -hmm. right? So we grow because of conflict, not despite conflict. Yeah, it's, a, it's not a if conflict is going to happen, it's a when conflict is going to happen. Using myself as an example again, when conflict runs to me, I often choose that freeze response because like maybe if I ignore it, it will go away. But conflict in this case could be like a, a flood coming towards your house. You can't freeze and ignore the flood. Your basement's going to be underwater and you're going to have a big problem to deal with. So you've got to be proactive. And I like what you mentioned earlier about talking to couples and like if everyone understands the rules of engagement, like what might that look like in a family? Like what are some good guidelines and guide rails to put in place to manage Maybe manage isn't the right word because we want to transcend conflict. But like what are some good guide rails to put in place so everyone is quote unquote, fighting fair and playing by the rules. Yeah. And this has become cliche. So it's difficult to talk about this. Um, I think in this era without getting a few eye rolls, but really safe in the hierarchy of needs, safety is of utmost importance, right? And so what does that look like? Well, if it's a flood, not drowning is safety, right? And that's pretty obvious. But what about, um, you know, discussing politics over Thanksgiving dinner. Well, that's then safety may or may not look a little bit differently, mm -hmm. a little bit different. And uh, it's less uh, objective and a little bit more subjective, right? Because a conversation or an environment that might feel safe to you might not feel safe to me or vice versa, right? Um, but I do think this is what we mean by uh, a genuinely safe environment where everybody is following the rules and agreeing to take care of each other that should happen within the family. Uh, it's designed to happen within the family where we are free to make mistakes and have conversations there so that we may go out into the world where we have less assurance of safety. Um, but we have to, we have to offer that to each other, right? You, you have to have some sense of that. You have to have established that you have to model it, especially if you're the leader of the family or among the leadership of the family. Um, you have to be modeling that kind of, that kind of safety. And I think even more specifically yet, what that might look like is you are free to discuss your opinion, uh, without fear of retribution. Yeah. Right. We won't hold it against you. We won't call you weird. We won't shame you. We won't beat you up. We might disagree with you. This is something that we've gotten, I think, worse, not better at uh, as a culture over the last couple of decades, maybe. Um, but uh, we may disagree with you, uh, but we won't turn you into an awful person because of it. We won't hate you. We won't ostracize you. We won't beat you up. I want to latch onto a little scenario that you just kind of started to paint. So this episode's coming out the week before Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, probably the first time in a few months that your whole family, like whole extended family is together. Mm -hmm. And I can look back at family gatherings that I've sat at, and I'm sure you've sat at too, where politics is going to come out. Now, without getting into, you know, this versus this, X versus Y, politics is a realm where people generally have deeply held convictions, where like, if you're going to get into conflict, you're probably not looking to be convinced to change your mind. Right. So let's paint this scenario. We're at Thanksgiving dinner and Uncle Joe starts screaming about X, Y, Z, what does a positive outcome from that experience is? Is it, do we want to deescalate that? Do we want to lean into it? Like what is the most healthy way to deal with 
this conflict bomb that gets launched into a happy family holiday dinner because that's going to happen next week somewhere sometime. <laughs> yes, very likely. Oh, Uncle Joe. Everybody has an Uncle yeah. Joe, right? <laughs> uh, or some version of it within their family. Uh, I, I will double down on the on the safety thing. And part of that might be an assessment, right? What is Joe's MO in doing this, right? Uh, is Joe trying to cause harm? Is he trying to stir things up? Is he trying to make things difficult? Is he saying what he's saying because he's attacking someone? Uh, if so, that might require a different response. Um, if this is just what Joe does, right. Especially if, uh, Thanksgiving dinner, uh, involves a couple too many drinks for uncle Joe or something like that, right. If, if Joe is being difficult, um, or, or sorry, is not attempting to be difficult, not attempting to harm someone, um, but is just expressing himself. Then could we, could we be willing to take the next step, which is probably just monitor our own response, right? Be mindful of your own response. I think we'll continue to develop this throughout the series, but this idea of looking first within myself, and this is why, you know, the Delphian maxim becomes an, an important thing. We, we really should pay attention to knowing ourself, uh, not in a humanistic way, but, but even understanding how is God speaking to us? Um, how does this affect me? What is my own response to this? And what is that about? That, that's a lot of work that can be done, but hopefully to the service of being able to hold our own space when Joe is doing the thing that uncle Joe does. Right. When, and holding space is another potential cliche, but the idea that I can be okay, even if Joe's doing that. Mm -hmm. And if I don't feel so okay, can I manage how I feel so that I can respond to Joe instead of react at Joe? Yeah. Because as you mentioned earlier, reacting at Joe is probably just going to fuel Joe or upset him or shut him down or make him run away or, or it might be what he wants. Like exactly or, what he wants. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, like that reminds me of something my dad taught me all the time when I was a kid. Cause I was, so I was bullied a lot when I was a kid. So like I had to deal with that level of conflict a lot when I was young and my brain wasn't developed. And one thing that my dad always said to me was just remember, you can never control what someone else does to you. All you can control is how you respond to that. So like, let's say we're in this fight with uncle Joe. What are some maybe like practical techniques you can do to control yourself in that moment and not escalate and not push the push the boundary. Yeah. Yeah. Well, first of all, you just said in a fight with uncle Joe, the first thing I can do is make it my priority not to be in a fight with uncle Joe. Mm. Right. Well, how do I do that? That's easier said than done. Well, what I was getting at was I have to know myself know well enough to know why is it that what uncle Joe is having is saying right now is upsetting to me. What's that about? Is, is it because he's harming someone? If so, then I should probably um, change my response. We should maybe think about trying to isolate Uncle Joe or protect whoever he's going after uh, in the name of the well-being of the family. If Joe is just being Uncle Joe and kind of popping off, then I, I have to be willing to look at why what he has to say is upsetting to me. Is it that he's saying it? Is it because I'm afraid that he's going to ruin Thanksgiving forever? Uh, is it because I disagree with him? That's probably one of the most common culprits. I don't like what it is that he's saying. And again, can I manage that? So how do I manage that? Well, again, we got to go back to some of our, our early work on this. I have to calm myself down. I have to manage my own system so that I even have a chance of having access to the part of my brain that could be calm in a situation mm -hmm. like this. And I will say this, uh, we probably haven't given enough attention to this, um, but probably the simplest way to do this, if you're looking for something really practical you can use right now at Thanksgiving dinner is breathing. And, and I'll, I wasn't going to go down this road, but I think while we're at it, it could be really useful to folks. Um, there's a lot of ways you can do this. There's a lot of uh, suggestions and apps. You can look this up and find a million different versions. I have in my practice come to really appreciate something we just call box breathing. Um, and, and so if you picture uh, a rectangle, uh, if, if you're really so upset, you can't even go there, pull your phone out. It's probably in the shape of a rectangle and picture the longer edges and the narrower top and bottom, right? And then kind of measure that off in your mind, um, in equal segments of four, two, four, two, right? So what we do is if you start to notice your own signs that you're starting to get upset, you're starting to react, you're starting to notice something's going on, even before you know why it upsets you, you are aware that it upsets you and want to do something different than get in a fight with uncle Joe. You can simply exhale all the air in your lungs, slowly breathe in from the bottom of your belly in and fill your chest through the diaphragm for a count of four seconds. Now, 
I'm a bigger guy. It's it's actually probably five, two and a half for me instead of four, two. You can speed up or slow down your accounting. Do what's comfortable. Don't hold your breath. Don't pass out at the dinner table. That won't be helpful. Uh, but just a, a steady breath of four bre- uh, bre- uh, four counts in and then hold it for about two seconds, not longer than it feels comfortable, but hold it for just a second so that you don't hyperventilate. Then slowly let the air out through your mouth for four seconds and hold it for another two seconds and then and then repeat, right? Wash, rinse, repeat. Now, first of all, one thing that's going to happen that could be really helpful here is while Uncle Joe is still going off, you're now focused on something very different, and that might be helpful in and of itself. The other thing, and I won't go back through all the physiology of this, but you're sending ultimately a, a very important message to the center part of your brain, that amygdala, in the language that it can speak, which is biofeedback, right? Messages from the body back to the brain. And what you're telling it is, despite Uncle Joe yelling and despite your heart rate going up and despite your sweaty palms and despite your increased um, uh, breathing and everything else that's going on, when you consciously slow your your body, uh, your breathing down, you're sending a message to your brain that says the coast is clear, it's actually okay. And once you can do that, and I would recommend maybe doing it about 40 times, that's about two minutes before you decide to respond, there's now a much higher likelihood that you have access to the front part of your brain. And remember, the front part of your brain is what you can use to manage emotions and to regulate yourself and to offer a response that is uh, aligned with your goals and your long-term thinking as opposed to just a quick reaction in the moment. Yeah. And I can say as someone who practiced box breathing, literally parked on 131 yesterday, <laughs> it really, really, really does help. It really does. It's one of the, th- of all the fancy things we do, it's a very simple thing we do uh, that I always say there's really three responses from people when we recommend this. One is I didn't try it and nothing happened. Well, there's, I can't help you, right? The The second answer is I did it a little bit. It helped a little bit. And the third answer, um, hopefully the most common answer is I tried this quite a bit and it helped quite a bit. Now, does it solve everything? Does it stop uncle Joe? But no, like you said, you can't control uncle Joe. You can control you. And this is a really healthy way to control you and how you respond. Um, but I, I actually think just keeping yourself calm is probably the best thing that you can do in the moment. And then if necessary, you can get even into higher order responses yet. Um, I'll also come back to the theme of curiosity we talked about. Being willing to choose intentionally to approach Joe with a spirit of curiosity as opposed to wanting to get away from him or destroy him and stop him from speaking, right? Because your amygdala will say, do a couple of those things or freeze, right? Just freeze and, and clutch the table until it's all over. But I think being willing to sort of disarm the conversation with a spirit of curiosity rather than jumping to a conclusion about what he's saying or why or trying to change his mind, which, as you mentioned, is likely not going to happen around something like politics. Um, just saying something like, where did that idea come from? Why is it that you think that way? Let Joe keep going, right? He probably just wants to be heard. Mm -hmm. And if you give him a chance to be heard, he'll run out of steam eventually and move on to something else, right? And you can talk about something less controversial like the Lions. (laughs) Who are actually good now. Who are doing fantastic (laughs) right now. Uh, So before we um, pivot to another scenario, I want to do a little aside. If you're listening to this and your name is Joe, you're like, wow, these guys are dogging on me real hard. (laughs) I picked that name for two reasons. A, there's no one in my family with that name. And also, Kevin, you and I have a mutual friend named Joe who listens to this podcast. And sorry, Joe, I picked it because you are the least likely person to cause conflict. And it made me laugh because he's the biggest peacemaker I've ever known. That's fantastic. Thanks for listening, Joe. (laughs) I wish you would have led with that. I would have been thinking of him the whole time. That's great. (laughs) So we, we just spent some time talking about uh, an acute scenario, like we are around the dinner table at Thanksgiving and this politics grenade gets lobbed in. I want to spend the rest of our time in this segment kind of talking about those conflicts that kind of simmer under the surface that are more long-term conflicts. And specifically, you know, we, we market this podcast as a biblically based mental health podcast. So I'm guessing if you're listening to this podcast right now, you're a believer, you are active in the church community, and you're probably pretty outspoken about your faith. I don't know about your family, but in my family, There's some people that definitely are not that way and are not shy about it. So how, what are some ways to kind of approach maybe that like slow simmering conflict where there's just some people in your family that look at the world in a completely different way than you? How can we as believers, A, transcend that conflict and also model Christ to these people in our family and like do this conflict in a biblical, healthy way? Yeah. Okay, so we're switching from politics to religion. Yeah. That'll, yeah. 
I caught that. Uh, you didn't use the word, but perfect. Um, I, this is not what you're looking for, but I'll say it first. Uh, my first answer might be don't do it at Thanksgiving dinner. Just enjoy Thanksgiving yeah. dinner, right? Let's just enjoy Which is my turkey. family's policy, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. Let's leave a couple of those things for another time. But I think, Zach, what you're saying is what about when the time comes? Yeah. Right. What about when the time comes where someone who I love, someone within the family that I'm a part of, um, maybe believes something that is different than I believe? Is it would that be the nature of it? Or like yeah. maybe I'm concerned about what yeah, they believe like in? They or? they are so like trying not to peel too many layers back in my my personal family. Like there is someone who if when I bring up that I work at a ministry, well, there's gonna be like some snickering, there's gonna be some sarcasm, and like there's gonna be this not so thinly veiled of, wow, you're stupid for giving your life towards that. Like that level of like under the surface conflict, specifically as it relates to Christianity, because like, was, I think Penn Gillette had the, has the saying, like, I don't, I'm not mad when people try to preach a gospel to me because how much do you have to hate me to not preach the gospel to me? Like, <laughs> how do I, if I, if I think that this person in my family is going down a road where they're not going to see Jesus when they die, like, how can I manage this simmering conflict with them in a way that models Christ to them and like leave that door open without being the stereotypical like Bible thumber, like right. you're going to hell. Like right. how, how do we manage kind of that slow simmering conflict in a healthy biblical way? Yeah, exactly. Because as you're saying, like telling someone they're going to hell is a really useful form of evangelism. Yeah. It's not, right? work. Yeah, it's not a great place to start by condemning someone. Um, so again, I'll go back to that, that curiosity, um, being willing to approach conflict with the idea and belief that something good might come out of it, as opposed to that very human response that this is awful and I should mm -hmm. get, I should distance myself. So speaking of distance myself, I'll, I'll kind of back up and, and talk about a conflict model that I use in general. And I'm sure smarter people have had uh, more thorough models than this, and maybe even would say that there's um, more options. But as I sort of just noodle through this myself, uh, it struck me a while ago that um, if conflict is two people being at two different places, right, especially in what they think or what they believe, there's, there's, really, as I can see it, five ways to manage that, right? So we can overcome that difference, that distance in opinion or belief in one of five ways. The first is to win, meaning if you're in spot B and I'm in spot A, I can get you to spot A, right? I can, I can do whatever I need to. I think that's part of the approach, especially when it's something loaded and very important to us like eternal faith, right? The idea that I'm going to scare you to my position, the problem is it doesn't usually work. In fact, usually in order to accomplish it, it requires someone losing. And that's strategy too, right? I could lose if I'm in spot A and you're in spot B and I want there not to be conflict between those two spots. I could go to spot B, right? I could go there with you. Um, and, and I could even abandon my belief or my position or my opinion in order to get there. It's sort of like intentionally losing in order to um, bridge the conflict. And Again, easy to see why it doesn't work in many ways, but it does actually resolve the conflict, right? By definition. Mm. So third is similar to the second, uh, but distinct enough that I think we should talk about it. And that's our good old fashioned favorite of avoiding conflict, right? I don't care if we're at point A or point B. I just not, I want to not talk about it. This is maybe what you were getting at, especially with a freeze response, mm -hmm. right? I, I don't care. I no longer have an opinion. I just want this to be over with. I want to stop arguing or I want the... Uh, I want the uncomfortable feeling to go away. So I don't really care what the answer is. Uh, and that would be avoidance. Um, the fourth is probably my favorite to pick on. I think especially because I see it defended, especially among our religious circles so much. Um, and that's that the key to any good conflict is compromise, right? You hear that all the time. I, I think I would have heard this wisdom. And to be fair, there's a time and a place, right? But to me, compromise sounds a lot like both of us losing at least a little. Mm-hmm. Right. If you're in one place, I'm in another and we are defending the position that we're in uh, and want to be in the same place, then we would both have to give up where we are. And I think in negotiation, especially right, if we're arguing on a price and I say $50 and you say 100 and we settle on 75, I guess you could say that's better than being stuck. But neither of us are going to feel great yeah, about it. Which if your conflict is where we eat dinner, that's one thing. But yeah. What do you believe is a little bit different yeah, absolutely. on a compromise. Absolutely. And I, so I know I'm broadening the model to talk about conflict in general, but I think the test of this model would be, could it even handle something as significant as that, mm -hmm. right? And so this is where I get back to transcending conflict, right? If, there has to be a better way. And, and especially if I think and want to stand behind the assertion that 
conflict is not only not just inevitable or unavoidable, but that it's actually by design God's plan for our growth, then I have to believe that a God like ours could do something better than any of those options. Right, mm-hmm. that that actually the idea of gaining higher ground must uh, through the difficulty of managing conflict um, must be worth it, and and it must be worth it to both of us. It shouldn't be that one of us has to lose in some way to get there. Uh, and so the idea of transcending conflict, one of the reasons I think that it's probably the most rare version that I see in the natural environment is that it takes a lot of work. And one of the ways that it takes a lot of work is I have to be willing to temporarily, at least temporarily suspend what it is that I'm holding on to or defending in order to more fully understand where it is that you are coming from. Right. And what I find is, um, sometimes where we start is, um, uh, unresolvable, right? It's it's sort of mutually, what you want and what I want are, are mutually exclusive of one another. But probably the reason you want what you want and the reason that I want what I want are not. But it would take a lot of work for both of us to be willing to lay down arms, become curious and intentional about discovering and exploring what that was all about, and then seeking a way to resolve. So if I can use an example here, this is, this is one of the most common ones that I use. Uh, let's say Zach, you and I are planning a road trip, right? Holidays are coming up. We both got some time off. You and I are going to do a bro tip trip somewhere and we're going to take off and we're going to do something right. Uh, and let's say two options. I'm, I'm going to go here cause this is the one that I usually use. Let's say the two options are Miami, Florida and Anchorage, Alaska. Very different. Very different. What would your choice be, by the way? Oh, Alaska is my favorite place in the world. So okay. we're going to Anchorage. Okay. I usually choose Alaska. I'll go Miami on this <laughs> one, right? So if you and I uh, are stuck in an argument, we only have a couple of days, we only get one trip, one shot to get this right, and we know that we want to go together, we, we now have two very different destinations in mind, right? So again, going back through the options here, it could be win. I could try to strong arm you into going into Miami with me, right? And you might try the same tactic, at which point we're pretty well stuck until one of us loses, right? Or I could voluntarily lose. I'll say, fine, I'll go to Alaska. I really don't want to, right? So I'll go to, I really want to go to Miami. I'm going to spend the whole time talking about Miami and Mm -hmm. why we should be in Miami, but I'm in Alaska, right? So we resolved the conflict. We went to a place, but we didn't go there. I didn't go there willingly. And therefore I feel like I lost. And that's not a real, that's not a real resolution, right? Um, we could avoid it altogether. Right? Is this your attack? I, I don't Which know. Which is Kevin, exactly is... what I would do. We would not end up on a road trip if, if I was in this with you. Right. We right. would stay home. We'd miss the whole opportunity yeah. because we weren't willing to engage. Right. And either I would go alone, uh, or or we wouldn't go at all. Right. And we'd just be sitting in in. West Michigan, right over the holidays, which is a lovely place to be. Um, we could compromise. Uh, and when I, when I first used to do this, I, I made something up when I used this in a training, I thought, you know, I probably should know the halfway point between, uh, Anchorage and Miami. I should know what it actually is. Any guesses? Like Winnipeg or something? Yeah. Not bad. Actually. Not bad. Uh, it's actually, um, Regina or okay. Regina, Regina as I think yeah. it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's officially called, um, in Saskatchewan. One province right? away. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But still the middle of nowhere. So I have to say I was doing this in a training at a church and I was going on and on about what an awful decision that would be. And that's exactly why you don't compromise. Who wants to spend a weekend in Regina? And a woman came out to me afterward and said, by the way, I'm from there. <laughs> and I felt terrible. And she said, no, you're absolutely right. It's awful. Like it's, it's, <laughs> I think she said, uh, it's so flat that when your dog runs away, you can, you can follow it for three days, right? <laughs> you just watch it run away because everything's flat and boring and it's not a great place to spend time. Unless right? you like the Rough Riders football team. Oh, I, that was a bit of trivia I wouldn't have had. Um, yeah, I don't care to spend my one vacation watching the Rough Riders, right? So, uh, I, that's not a good option. It's, it's so neither of us got what we wanted. We landed halfway in between and it wasn't that good. Right. So how, what do we do about this? Right. Really? What do we do? How do we resolve this? Well, if we were going to get to the bottom of it, we would have to break down the dispute. We would have to be willing to let go just a minute of what it is that we wanted and be willing to talk and share with each other why we wanted it. Right. And here's a key point. If I, your question was, what would I do? How would we approach conflict? One of the greatest gifts that I could offer you would be to be willing to go first right? Rather than just hammering on why we should be in Miami. Mm -hmm. I could do something like this. Hey, Zach, you want to go to Anchorage? Tell me about that. Why do you want to go to Anchorage? No, really right now. Why do you want to go to Anchorage? What is it about Anchorage? Uh, It's in Alaska. Alaska's great. There's nobody there. (laughs) Okay. Nobody there. It's it's quiet. Is that what you mean? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, So less populated. That's what's important to you. Anything else? Why Alaska? 
It's not Florida. Okay. Although you're just beating on my argument, but what, <laughs> what is it about Alaska that would appeal to you? Why did you so quickly say you would want to go to Alaska uh, and not Florida? Genuinely, it's actually the favorite vacation I've ever been on. Okay. Like I, I've so, never felt more uh, at home with people. It's a very laid back place and okay. um, it's very comfortable. Okay. So There's for, not a lot of conflict there. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. For the, which is what we're engaging in right now, right? For those of you listening to this podcast right now, what, what did you just hear Zach say, right? I heard a couple of key words there, if it's my intention to listen for them, right? Now, if mm-hmm. all I want to do is be a little more polite, but really wait to hammer you back into Miami, then I'm going to lose yeah. or you're going to lose or something's not going to go. We're going to end up in Regina, right? That's no fun. But when I made it my intention and my heart's posture to actually understand why you wanted to go to Alaska, I just learned something that I wouldn't have learned if you were also doing the same thing. You said it's your favorite vacation ever. You've been there before. I have. Okay. Yep. So there's like there's like something familiar there, something comfortable. Mm-hmm. And that something comfortable feels like laid back. You said no people, but then you said the people that are there you really got yeah. along with, you enjoyed because they were laid back. It was peaceful, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Anything else you would add to that? Um, well, speaking honestly, the last time I went to Miami, it was one of the most stressful trips of my life. So Miami, okay. I associate Miami with conflict and Alaska with peace. Okay. No, that's, that's awesome. So again, if you're listening at home, notice if I was just trying to make it my MO to get Zach to go where I wanted him to go, I would also miss and misunderstand the fact that one of the reasons he's resisting it isn't just to win. There's something about his story that tells me why Miami's not a peaceful place for him, right? And I'm fighting for something. And now, again, if this is a perfect stranger, what's a better city? Maybe there's no harm done. But this started in the context of family, mm-hmm. right? This is someone I care about yeah. or purport to care about. And if I genuinely care about them, I should, as the Bible says, lay down my own life for them. If you haven't picked up on this yet, this is the formula we're following, mm-hmm. right? And you don't have to jump in front of a train or hang on a cross only as your only options to lay down your life. One thing I could do to lay down my life is lay down my opinion for half a second, right? Mm-hmm. And you notice when I lay down my opinion for half a second, I just learned something about you literally as everyone was listening, that just happened. I didn't know that you had had a bad experience in Miami, Mm -hmm. but now I know that. Do you think that might change how hard I try to battle you if I genuinely care about you? I sure hope so. I sure hope so. Mm -hmm. Right. If, if I don't, I don't actually mean that I care about you. Right. You just care about winning. Yeah. I care about winning and maybe I like spending time with you. Maybe you're going to fund this trip or something. Mm. Right. But I don't actually care about you. I don't actually, as the, as the Bible would say, love you because I'm not willing to put your needs above my own. But I would like to venture a guess that once I learned that Miami, uh, like drummed up something really unhealthy for you, uncomfortable for you, I might not want to go there with you because I might not want you to experience Mm -hmm. that. Now I may not give up as quickly. But I now have a whole bunch of answers for why it is that you want to go to Anchorage and not to Miami, right? And now, as I started saying, I gave you a gift, right? So often what happens when we give somebody a gift, they reciprocate. Now that I just did that with you, would, would you think you'd be more or less likely to want to understand why I want to go to Miami? More likely. More, right? Mm-hmm. Because I just, I just gave you the gift of being understood, one of the mm-hmm. greatest gifts we can give somebody. I also showed you how to do it. Right. So I won't bore our listeners by going through this, but you could do the same back. Mm -hmm. Right. You could say, well, okay, well, Kevin, why do you want to go to Miami? And I could give you a bunch of reasons, which for me wouldn't be true. We'd, this would be a short (laughs) conversation. Let's go to Anchorage. Um, but if it were true, I could say, uh, you know, I, I want to go somewhere warm. Uh, and I love the beach, right? I love the beach and I love to read books on the beach where it's warm. Right. Well, now you don't just know that I want to go to Miami. You know why I want to go to Miami. And now here's the thing, Anchorage and Miami, mutually exclusive, right? Uh, laid back, friendly places where I have good memories that are warm and sandy and you can read a book. Do you think that exists? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any ideas? Hawaii. Hawaii. There you go. Hey, high five. We're going to Hawaii. Paying? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So th- this is a bit of a silly example, but um, what I find, and it's sort of short order, it doesn't always come that easy. Although this was not rehearsed, folks, I wasn't kidding about that. You notice how when we did a little bit of extra work to get to the bottom of why we were fighting what we were fighting, we drew closer together. We learned something about each other. Mm-hmm. And what we found was what we wanted was not mutually exclusive what I wanted was not mutually exclusive of what you wanted. Mm-hmm. It was just different, yep. especially where we first started. But my hunch is this, there's lots of ways to solve this. And this is the beauty of when I've seen actually people play this out. We might've ended up in Anchorage for some reason. 
we might have ended up in Miami. We might have ended up in Denver. We might have ended up in San Diego. Uh, I, I bet in that case, we if we could have pulled it off, we would have agreed just to go to Hawaii, right? Because mm-hmm. win-win, we just transcended the conflict. And here is the key. If you're trying this at home, and please do, um, especially if you feel like you're up to this, uh, the key to knowing whether you have truly transcended the conflict or just compromised or in some other way got around it is if you are more excited about the new solution than you were the one you were excitedly defending. Right. I would like to think that after going through that exercise with you, I would no longer be anti Anchorage or only pro Miami. I would like to think both of us would be really excited about going to Hawaii. I want to be on Maui. Let's go. Absolutely. Sounds fantastic. Sounds fantastic. Um, So again, this gets harder uh, to do the harder the content becomes. Mm -hmm. And and you started out by talking about some really tough content, politics and religion among the the two third rails, uh, right. That we would probably want to avoid in any situation. Uh, but I defy people to put not just Kevin's model to the test, but really to put the Lord's idea of laying down your life to the test, right? He wasn't making that up. He was after something. And he demonstrated it. And he demonstrated it over and over and over. And it wasn't what we often think it was, right? Again, from early in Proverbs, and as we talked about from the Sermon on the Mount, turning the other cheek, it doesn't mean that I just roll over. It doesn't mean that I'm a doormat. It doesn't mean that I give up on everything. I think the God who created Hawaii (laughs) and Miami and Anchorage could have done a little better than that, Mm -hmm. right? And I think what he had in mind when he created what he did around conflict and organize things the way he did was that if we were willing to start by subjugating our own selfish desires and instead seek to understand and pursue and prioritize that those of the person that we loved, right? If I did that and you followed my lead and you did that or vice versa, then the place we would get to would be much better than the place we started and certainly better than stuck. Yeah. So I want to ask one more question before we move on. This is very Deep topic, and we've got the next couple episodes will be more in-depth on this, but like say someone's been listening to us talk for the last 40 or so minutes, and they're seeing their own family in some of the scenarios that we're painting. What is something you can look for to realize, I might need to go see a therapist. We, we might need to go seek a third party, seek professionals to help us work through this. What are some things to maybe look for? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, it feels like one obvious one is what I just described doesn't work, right? Or even... I'm in a situation, let's go back to Uncle Joe, uh, I'm in a situation where there's enough evidence in front of me to know that just calming myself down and looking at why this is upsetting to me and being willing to try to understand where it is that Joe is coming from as a a way of being willing to create that space for him uh, is either not possible or possibly even dangerous. That means you need help by Mm -hmm. definition, right? And so I think having a neutral third party as I've said before, I'll continue to say one of the greatest things we have to offer uh, when we are in our roles as counselors is not our expertise. It's our objectivity, mm-hmm. right? So it's not it's not me knowing whether Anchorage or Miami is better. It's me being objective enough to be able to see through where you guys are stuck in that conflict and then the expertise to help guide you through it. Um, so yeah, I think, I think just reading your own signs, reading your own track records with how well that's going. Um, and I, I should say, by the way, I I fully recognize for those who are thinking this already, uh, you know, the Miami Anchorage conversation is a fairly benign one. When the example you started with was a little less benign, I don't mm-hmm. know, eternal salvation versus not. And and that is a really big deal. And I'm not, I'm not suggesting that we compromise um, or that we settle on something less than what we know to be true. But I do believe that if we're stuck trying to have a conversation and we're willing to start by understanding where the other person's convers- side of the conversation is coming from, we might be able to gain higher ground we may be able to get to a place of, of understanding why is it um, that you believe what you believe and what it is that you're fighting for and how is that true for me? And actually faith, I don't think, ooh, this might be controversial, but this struck me a long time ago. I think of faith these days much less than as me starting by knowing what's true and making sure everybody um, uh, believes the exact same thing outside of the most universal truths, but believing actually that the most universal truths are indeed true and having the faith to explore and work with people in order to get there. Right. So an uncompromised truth is that God is the creator of the universe, right. And that Christ, his son is our savior, right. And that what he said was true about believing in him 
for eternal life. I have to have the faith then that the more we explore, the closer we come to that, as opposed to the fear that if we divert anywhere off track for that, we'll be in trouble, right? And, it, and it's often that fear that drives us to react instead of respond to where people were. So before we wrap up, I um, want to spend some time with our listeners. It's time for Q&A. Uh, if you've got a question you'd like us to answer, a couple ways you can submit it. You can go to wcsg.org, search podcast, then click on Through Rough Waters. You can also submit your question through email as well, throughroughwaters at wcsg.org. Today's question did come in over an email, and I want to warn you, it's a pretty heavy question, so we're going to keep this one anonymous. And this isn't the, the whole question, but it's kind of the gist of it. Uh, our listener says... Something that's made my journey of mental health and healing difficult is being in a marriage with a spouse who doesn't understand. Rather than encouraging me on my journey, all I feel is negative reinforcement to the point where my anxiety gets even stronger in the presence of my spouse. The person who should have my back isn't willing or interested in helping me. I'm constantly told that I need to, quote, figure it out on my own. My spouse is not wrong that I need to take the initiative to heal and make progress but it's very difficult to do without encouragement from the person who should be encouraging me the most. My question is, how can I move someone toward acceptance of me as a person in spite of my mental health challenges and limitations? Whew, that yeah. is a, that is a big one. That's a heavy one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and probably because of the weight of this one, it's important again to reiterate um, that we don't know the whole situation yeah. here, right? So we want to be real careful about being specific and prescriptive in a response to this. But I think it's important enough and heavy enough that we also also should respond. Mm -hmm. And right? I think the listener did a good job of asking an appropriate question after yeah. sharing this part of their story too. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But in the same spirit, to also acknowledge, um, I, this is this is always an important place for any of us to start, and it's part of that whole curiosity and intentionality thing. I should assume when I go into a situation like this, even first person, I should start by assuming that I may not know everything or understand everything. I, I should assume it's usually a safe one that I have some blind spots, mm -hmm. right? And this is, again, uh, a lead with the plug instead of finish with it, that if I really, really am stuck and not getting anywhere with this, it's why I might need someone much more objective than yeah. myself or my spouse to help me see what I'm missing, right? So can I be willing to do that? Um, that said, uh, to my friend who wrote this question, um, I think it's really, really important. This is a, this is a brutally honest response here, but I think one key can be found in the way that the last question, part of the question is asked. And that is how can I move someone toward acceptance of me as a person? The brutal, brutally honest responses. You cannot. Mm -hmm. Like we just talked about, you can only control yourself. Yeah. You can't control other people. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's a hard truth, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's, I, I don't blame you for wanting that. I don't blame you for wanting more acceptance, for wanting more understanding. We've talked about it often on this podcast that the desire to be known is so primal for all of us and, it, and it's universal, it's existential. Everyone wants to be understood and accepted for who they are, often as they are. And, it, and it's not wrong to ask for that. It may not work though to expect it. And, and that's another really hard truth. Mm -hmm. So, uh, right, you can't control that your partner uh, accepts you as a person. What you can do is invite that. What you can do is ask for that. What you can do is model that. Uh, in the example we used earlier, right, if, if you were paying attention, I was saying that it's a huge gift that we can offer to give first mm -hmm. uh, what it is that we are asking for, right? So in our example of navigating the, the vacation, one of the most helpful ways I can start off is to start by understanding your position rather than starting with my own. And that just runs against so much that's human within us yeah. and especially the, the sinful broken parts of who we are. So uh, part of the, also really a, a hard response to this is one of the ways that you can seek acceptance in your relationship is, is to offer it first, do everything that you can to offer acceptance. And if that doesn't translate automatically, then you can put it on the table, right? You could even name it and say, Hey, I've, I've been doing my best. It's been hard to offer acceptance and to understand where it is that you are coming from. Maybe you have to admit that you don't know. Uh, maybe you can seek to understand and get to the bottom of that. But maybe enough barriers or um, uh, coping me mechanisms are in place for your partner that um, he or she won't let you 
Uh, and so the best you can do is ask for it. You can just name it. You can say, this is what I'm looking for, assuming that it's safe for you to do so. And then I'll circle back again. This, this feels like an obvious one to me. If we're not getting anywhere at that point, um, I would not hesitate because of where this question starts out, the scenario that this starts in. I would not hesitate to ask for help. You need someone not just to answer the question for you and decide who's right and who's wrong, but to help the two of you navigate through something as difficult as yeah. this is. So speaking of that, I want to thank Kevin for joining us and for West Michigan Wellness Group for supporting this podcast. If someone's in a scenario maybe as heavy as the one we just described or maybe one that they don't want to reach that point and they're listening right now, how do they reach out to you and how do they start their therapeutic journey with you guys at West Michigan Wellness Group? Yes. As always, I answer that by saying, please do. Please do. This is what we do and we love to help. Uh, you can find us online at westmichiganwellnessgroup.com. You can email us at info at westmichiganwellnessgroup.com, or you can just give us a call. Our main number is 616-600-1187. Yeah. And you can also find that all information in the show notes and at wcsg.org. I want to say thank you for joining us for episode seven of Through Rough Waters. Join us again in two weeks as we continue this series on conflict, where we'll take a closer look at family wounds, specifically how the hurts and patterns from our childhoods will stick with us through our life and how they can impact us deep into adulthood. Kevin, would you wrap us up in prayer? It'd be my honor. Lord, we thank you so much for this opportunity. Uh, we thank you for even these rough waters, and they are. We know that family is your design for our existence. It was your idea that it was not good for us to be alone, but that we were to have uh, family. We were to have relationships. We were to have uh, helpers and friends and people that we love in the context of community. And, and the core of that is the family, Lord. And we know that's your design, so we know that it's good. We also know that we're broken people and that we seek our own way outside of your design. And that brings in pain and that brings in disagreement, that brings in discord, that brings in hurt, and that brings in conflict. Lord, we also believe that part of your rescue plan is to help us to grow through that conflict. And uh, we just ask that you give us strength and wisdom as we discern those opportunities. We ask that you be with us in this holiday season when uh, the time um, during this podcast is being recorded and released um, as we gather with our families. We know that that will bring lots of joy, will bring lots of happiness uh, for many, and that for many that will bring conflict for many, that even brings reminders of pain and grief and sadness and difficulty. And so we ask for your blessing and your provision over that. And may we ultimately turn to you, Lord, as, as the sole source of our um, salvation and, and of our comfort. May we find our refuge and our respite in you, for it's in your name that we pray.